All right. It seems impossible, but we are already back. This is another episode of Watch This Immediately, the podcast that revels in exposing the ignorance of its two hosts. Me? I'm one of those hosts. My name is Stephen Cross, and with me, as always, for this endeavor is... Munir here. Yes, it's Munir. And we are going to talk about something really special for you tonight. Munir, <laughs> tell us about what it is. We're watching How High, the stoner um, college comedy starring Method Man and Red Man. Exciting. And other people. There is everybody in this movie. They use every toy in the box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Many people were popping up making me think, oh, wait, I know who that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was one I had to look up, and we're going to get to it, but I was shocked where I recognized this person from. <laughs> the only thing that they have done that I had seen. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. We'll, okay. we'll get to it. Before we get into it, real yes. quick, I have a suggestion for a procedural element that we might be able to introduce. Okay, please. You can can edit this out if you need. No, we're good. What's up? I've been getting into philosophy recently. Okay. And I've been reading about a concept called Jorge Michaelian... um, What is it called? Jorge Michaelian utopianism. Okay. Now, it's too much to get into the whole thing right now, but basically it's all about how our preconceptions can rule our lives and cause us and our interpersonal relationships pain. Very well. Now, what I propose, because this is all about breaking down those preconceptions and about challenging what we believe we know, I think that each person, each part of the conversation, once per episode, should have the opportunity to request the protection of Jorge Michaelian utopianism. <laughs> okay. And from that point, the other person will have to silently listen without prejudice for 60 seconds. George Michael style. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I can get, I can get with this. Now, with this. We've, our, our conversations have been fairly... Fairly utopian to begin with, but in case there are any any sticking points that come up, any severe disagreements, we have the protection of Jorge Michaelian utopianism. (laughs) Okay, I I agree to this. Okay, excellent. Now, tell me about How High, a movie that I had... Uh, had not seen. I had known of its existence. Yeah. Um, we had this at the video store. Of course you did. Uh-huh. Of course you did. And it rented fairly well. Uh, yes. It was, it was a, a moderate, I wouldn't call it a sales driver, but you we, know, we made money on it. It's one of those things that uh, th- this was at the kind of peak of the Method Man, Red Man partnership. And so, you know, initially... Uh, Method Man, Red Man were um, on a a track together in 1994 called How High. Okay. Which is where the name of the movie I'm assuming comes from. That track, fantastic. It was off a soundtrack for a, a rap documentary. Okay, I was going to ask because I think I don't remember this from Enter the Wu Tang. So. No, no, no. This this was this was a soundtrack. Um, I can't remember the name of it yet, but like. You know, after that, I think they probably kept in touch and, you know, just kind of talked to each other from time to time. And um, I think this movie came out in either 90, 99 or 2000. 
I'm going to check. Keep talking. And um, and it was at that point that the uh, like the album that they did together, Blackout, came out as well. Okay, two thousand one. Oh, yep. So two thousand one. That sounds perfect for the time. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Right after I finished college, so this was kind of like the this was the 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 sequel to their album together because their album together was very popular very very um well known like it was getting mtv airplay for the videos and stuff okay the album was called blackout but yeah so this is essentially them playing lightly fictionized versions of themselves for laughs and you know their their personas um red man i think it's probably more one-dimensional than Method Man, because Method Man, we know, is a very good actor. Yeah, he actually has quite a bit of mm-hmm. ability and range. Yeah, and he's been in several of our favorite shows. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's... <clears throat> this is one of his, I think... This is one of the first movies I saw him in, I think. I don't I don't know that he did too many, like, features before this one. Well, this was... Like, when did uh, Wu-Tang become, like, capital W Wu-Tang? Uh, I think it was like 94, 95. Okay. So this, I mean, it would have taken a little bit of time to get enough heat that people would be like, you know what, I bet it would be really cool if we could get a member of the Wu-Tang Clan in here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, yeah, probably this is one of the few things that he had done to that point on screen. Now, this movie, just <laughs> judging by how it was, how it looks and the look and feel of it was made fairly cheaply. It had a budget... According to Wikipedia, okay. of twelve to twenty million, which is actually quite a bit. <laughs> really? I mean, for a for a comedy directed by a first time director. Okay, like I think I think let's say seventy percent of that was the weed budget. I think probably so. Because there's no way they spent that kind of money on this. You're not seeing it on the screen, <laughs> um, which is not an indictment of the of the movie per se. But no, I mean it's not a visually no. Adventurous movie. I mean, it's it starts off, you know, like we've got uh, Silas, who is the Method Man character, and uh, Jamal, who is the Red Man character. Mm-hmm. They're both living, you know, kind of these normal everyday lives. Um, Method Man or Silas, sorry, he is an amateur weed grower, and he's so amazing with his horticulture that like. Holy fucking Christ, he's, there's like five raccoons outside. Oh, yeah, no. The, that, that's the family that comes in after dark. Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> this is kind of like when uh, there was that, that uh, thunderstorm during one of our recordings, and I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to us? <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was really shocking to me. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so... You know, Silas has a friend named Ivory, mm-hmm. who has a pube patch on his forehead. He does, he does. And you know, he comes to Silas for some herbal refreshments, and uh, because he's he's going to have a, a young lady who's really into Kevin Costner over to his place later that night. We've all been there, and uh, she's not very kind to him. In her defense. That was a really off-putting place to just suddenly have a, a little patch of hair. That's Because it, it wasn't even a unibrow. I mean, I can get behind a yeah. strong unibrow, but no, this was just like a thumbprint of hair. 
right between his eyes. And and Method Man, sorry, Silas, did bring it to the dude's attention. So I, I would argue that part of the fault, not to victim blame, because this ivory dies through a spectacular, really crazy mishap. It was horror movie effects for yes. his death. Yes, it was. <laughs> D- disquieting. As I'm watching this... I exclaimed, oh, Jesus. Yeah, like you see his face like all burnt up. Yeah. Because he had That's these... where the money for this movie yeah. went, is that and the J.Q. Adams skeleton <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's that. And, uh, but, you know, apropos of nothing, Ivory says, hey, you know, if I get hit by a bus, I'll protect you. If... If I catch fire and fall out of a window, I'll protect you. And this happens to be how he dies. Which is a weird thing to say to your friend. Yeah. I mean, if I said that to you, it would be uncomfortable. And, you know, we we presume that, like, Ivory probably had a funeral of some sort. But uh, I guess he didn't have any parents because Silas gets his ashes. <laughs> there. There, there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into the logistics of no. anything for this movie. No, no. It was just like, wouldn't it be crazy if? And then they write it out. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, like, like a normal person, Silas puts Ivory's ashes into a weed plant. Speaking of, I mean, that's how I want to go. Fair, fair. And um, the college entrance exams are called the THCs. Love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. <laughs> the test of higher concentration. <laughs> Which again is a weed thing. Look, too. If there's <coughs> this movie has so many bizarre little things that will make you shake your head for no reason, but it's so good natured yeah. that it's hard not to just it's a positive head shaking thing. And you know, like Method Man and Red Man have tons of charisma. Yeah. Like, they're, very, they're like, they draw you in, even as some very unsavory things are happening. And so, you know, we, we then um, end up at the meet-cute between the, the, two, the two friends. Jamal is in his car. He's trying to roll up some weed. Mm-hmm. And uh, he opens up the... Um, the window after letting out a fart that apparently smells so bad that he has to get like the fart particles out again we've all been there yes we have we have some of us more recently than others i think but that was told in confidence (laughs) but uh yeah so so you know they look at each other and instantly they pick up on the vibe they're like wait a minute this gentleman next to me he might have some weed and Silas like looks over at Jamal and is like, hey, got a blunt? These guys are just making friends. Yes. They're forming friendships. And this is where they find out that by smoking the weed that was made with Ivory's ashes, it, cause, it causes Ivory to appear in a, an all-white suit. <laughs> and, uh, it, and Ivory then helps them on the test with all the answers. This boggled my mind um because okay now is this a legitimate boggling of the mind or is this something that you are doing to troll me because because like like with batman 
I've maintained for many years, mainly as a way to annoy you, that the only part of that movie I find implausible is Batman training with ninjas in the mountains. Well, we can get into that all day long. (laughs) But the thing, yes, it genuinely boggled my mind. And really, it was part of a larger boggling. Because this movie is... This movie wants it all possible ways. Yes. Like Ruby Rod, it wants all positions. Yes. Um, And so as I'm watching this, in the first, like, 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a stoner comedy. Oh, okay, this is a buddy comedy. Oh, okay, this is a ghost movie now? (laughs) Oh, okay, this is a horror movie. What the hell did that have to happen for? (laughs) Oh, okay, this is a college comedy. Oh, okay, this is a snobs versus the slobs comedy. Oh, okay, this is a light romantic farce. This movie oh, has yeah. eight movies in the first 15 minutes. Yes. That is insane. <laughs> and they they don't adequately tie up any of those threads. They do not, no. So it is... It just marches on. Yeah. This movie aggressively humps your leg for yes. 90 minutes. It does. <laughs> and... It's it's impossible to get mad at it, but at the same time, I'm like, what the fuck movie am I watching? You know, there there's a lot of it that's that calling it amateurish is an insult to amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's so good natured, you just kind of like, okay, I'll roll with this. Well, there's a book I read when um, like maybe like 15 years ago called The Cat Who Walks Through Walls, <laughs> and the titular cat can walk through walls because he's too young to know that he can't. And that's what it's Heinlein. Okay. He, he does things like that. That's what this movie oh, yeah. makes me think of is they just didn't know you can't do these things. Hmm. So they're just going along doing these things and you can't get mad at them because they don't know you can't do that. Right. So there's nothing wrong with it. And it all comes across. If somebody tried to make this movie and sat down and was like, I am going to write a movie that is eight different kinds of movies all at once and just just dry humps every single premise. Yes. <laughs> um, you couldn't do it. No. no. This and this although this movie works in spite of everything that's going on with it, it still works. Yes. It does. And I think it's the charisma of the two main characters that kind of pushes it along. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the two of them and then later Omar Epps. Yes. Um because the they have uh, Fred Willard in here. They do. And they they let him do nothing. No. Which is a goddamn shame, because I would love to see him go up against all of these guys, just ad-libbing against them. But, uh, yeah, that, sorry, I digress. It's almost like they had Fred Willard on set, but he had other stuff to do. And so they had to get that, black, that other black dude to be like what Fred Willard should have been. Well, I think it would have just been fun. I mean... Best in Show was out around this time. Like, just let Fred Willard ad lib with these guys, exactly, and just have fun with him. But um, I've hijacked the conversation. Continue. No, no, you're good. You're good. So you know, they they pass with flying colors, perfect scores, and <laughs> then you know they they end up at Harvard. I'm not going to go through how they end up at Harvard, but they end the, up there. The movie doesn't. Why should you? Yeah, exactly. And and this is where the snobs versus slobs element kind of starts. You know, they end up in the dorm and they meet uh, they meet Bart, who's like the villain of the mo- one of the villains of the movie. Who kind of he he passes in and out. Yeah, 
And and uh, you know, there's that 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 uh, Dean with Dean Kane. Dean Kane. Yes. Which again, love that. Very. That was that was a conscious choice. It had to be, and that's why that's why I loved it. I was like. That was intentional. I love it. Of course, you're just going to call a guy Dean Kane. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? But you know, the you know at, at this point, they're in the dorms. There's two like nerds who are are their roommates, and uh, you know one of them is this white guy who they torture mercilessly. Mm-hmm. But hey. he does end up becoming their friend. In a way, yeah. yeah. And then and they've then got this one Chinese kid. has to be a, an offensive stereotype. Yeah. So. The Chinese kid is fairly offensive. <laughs> it's it's got to be it's got to be that way. And so yeah, like you know, everything's chugging along. They're they're the um, outlaws on campus. Dean Kane's trying to get rid of them. And um, there's there's a, a, a wild party one night. And, and, you know, this is where we find out that Cypress Hill is available to perform at Harvard. I mean, now they probably are. What else are they doing? You know, back then. Are they all even still alive? Dude. So there was a Tiny Desk concert recently of Cypress Hill. Really? Yeah, that's how you kind of know that your musical heroes have aged out. They're now old. Yeah. They're respectable. Because, be, like, Be Real, the main rapper has a legit like white beard <laughs> that was not great that made me feel super old you get used to it yeah but um, at this particular party a hall monitor or a, cam- a campus monitor sneaks into their room where they've got the, the ivory weed plant steals it and then essentially smokes it or ends up destroying it partially. Can we talk for a moment about the existential dilemma presented by Ivory as a ghost? <laughs> okay. Because that was another thing when I was like, oh, okay, this is a ghost movie now. Um, something that's revisited like in three scenes in the entire movie. Yes. Um, just imagine. Mm. Okay. This friend of yours, mm-hmm. well, or at least he viewed you as a friend. I feel like Method Man or Jamal viewed uh, oh, Silas. Silas I feel like Silas viewed him as an adequate colleague, right? Or viewed him as a, a good customer, right? Um, but this guy, who obviously thinks that you are a good friend, um, dies tragically. Mm-hmm. You find you miss him, and then you find out, oh, if I smoke this weed that I grew using his ashes, he appears to me again, and I can have conversations with him. There is now a dilemma of what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. I have a limited supply of this that I can smoke and talk with my friend again and experience my friend again. That's terrifying. <laughs> the The ramifications of that, the emotional toll that that would take on you. No, the the uh, there's no emotional toll. It's very, it's a very business like decision. We, and it's stated openly. Only smoke the ivory at test times. I can't. It made me sad. Exactly. There were so many things that, uh, so many ways you could have taken but, that. But, you know, again, it's one of those things where, had this been made with any emotional depth, <laughs> <that> <laughs> this would have been a little more stark. But this movie is, 
It's fun because it's very surface level. If this movie had been made with any emotional depth, it would have just been one of the eight movies that I described. Yes. And, okay, so before the... uh, before the uh, the wild party, by the way, there's one thing I wanted to bring up, which I, I just remembered now. Um, Silas and Jamal, they're used to they're used to the uh, pleasures of the flesh because they, they they both represent themselves as players. Indeed. And you know, in the beginning, Method Man is is uh, in his apartment dispensing weed to various people, and there's a a woman who's topless in his bed. Whom Ivory successfully or unsuccessfully, I can't remember, attempts to grope. Oh, yeah. And then he's like, oh, she wouldn't have known. Exactly. Not cool. Yeah. Not cool, 2001. And so the other part, so, you know, the other part that's not cool is that uh, Method, so Jamal and Silas, they end up with these two two ladies who are the stereotypical, like, you know, naughty schoolgirl types mm-hmm. who say, oh, we've never done this. We're virgins. And, um, you know, they, they have relations with these two women. And while these two women are in the throes of pleasure, um, Jamal's associate, a mute person named I Need Money, decides to film this... Uh, this encounter. And then the next day you see they've got a booth outside on the Harvard yard or whatever the hell you call it. And uh, they are selling the video and lotion together, (laughs) which I appreciate because, you know, it's a one-stop shop. Sure. You know, you don't have to go to a second place to get all the accoutrements for the evening. Everyone knows what you're doing anyway. Exactly. You don't have to go to a second location. You're not making meth. But again, there was no... Like today, you could not have such a scene in a movie. I might have been checking my phone. I didn't realize it was non-consensual. So. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I assume it was because, you know, it was like... It was that Harvard Girls Gone Bad, like, poster that they had. And well, yeah, but like on, the, on that poster, they were posing. So okay, I was fair. just like, mm, I guess it was consensual because the girls gone wild was a big thing at the time. And that's fair. Okay. So my, my brain made it consensual. Very fair. All right. I thought it was non-consensual. And also later in the, later in the movie, it's revealed that they're just kind of freaks and they tell everyone that they're virgins and they tell everyone that they've never done it before. So yeah. I, I got the feeling later in the movie that they had done it before and they were not virgins. Mm. And also from at least the, I'm gonna give them their. I'm gonna give them their flowers here. <laughs> they made it look consensual to me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very good. So the the one bit of effort that was gone to in this movie hit with me. Okay. Very good. All right. So it it was not. That was the thing that was not sexual assault. Now back to the wild party though. Right before this wild party, uh, Jamal and Silas decide, hey man, we need to get some women up in here. And oh by the way, at the wild party, they. Uh, have a couple of the prostitutes, sorry, sex workers, go to their two nerdy roommates and, you know, basically force them into having sex with them. And the plot conceit of that was not entirely clear to me. I I think it's just, this cements the friendship 
And I think it just means that those two aren't as big of like losers as they used to be. Fair enough. Yeah. Because, because you know, the Chinese kid, he's he's later wearing uh, Jamal's clothing line, Bufu. And he throws uh, baby powder, a.k.a. Mike Epps, through his car windshield <laughs> and takes his women. <laughs> because, of course, he knows martial arts. Yeah, well, yes. Correct. I mean. Correct. Come on. But, yeah, like, uh, you know, Mike Epps is unhappy because um, he is a pimp. And his employees, as his assistant pimp, wants to call them. MVP of the movie, Mike Epps. Hell yeah, yes. He just comes in for like four scenes, murders in every one. Yes. So good. So good in this movie. Baby Powder is my favorite character in this movie. Without question. And you know, that, uh, that, that, that white, white and uh, baby, baby blue tracksuit he was wearing. Very stylish still. You should try it out. I would wear such a thing. Hey, man. You got the money these days. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll look into this. I think it would it would qualify for casual Friday. Okay. Very well. Very well. It doesn't all have to be jeans. <laughs> I'll just show up in a velour tracksuit. <laughs> get forgiveness. Don't get permission. Fair. Fair. I'll be like... That goes for your wife. Don't tell her about this until <laughs> after you have it. <laughs> Spring it on her in the bedroom. I feel like it'll be kind of like, you know, when, when she was telling you not to get any more hats and I was getting more hats. Exactly. This is why you do not ask for permission. You yeah. ask for forgiveness. Maybe just preface it with baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for how sexy I look. <laughs> but yes. Now... After this party, they found out the ivory is gone. And it's at this point that the movie goes completely off the rails. It it, it was on one rail to begin with at best. Yes. But yes, it does get more unhinged from here. Because um, they decide that, hey, we, you know, put ivory's ashes into the weed and... We decide, you know, like you know, he appeared to us and gave us all the all the scores on, or oh, sorry, all the answers on these tests. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to go to the Harvard like cemetery and uh, dig up John Quincy Adams. <laughs> and because there's not enough time to plant John Quincy Adams, they put his arm <laughs> blender. Oh my god! <laughs> Once again. Horror movie visuals in this. A very well articulated and designed and executed decaying corpse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That they attempt to dismember. And oh, then, they succeed. And then, yeah, just put a hand in a blender. A, a skeleton hand with some flesh on it yes. in a blender. What are they going to do with that? Are they going to drink it? I think that was the general vibe, yes. Horror movie visuals. Because don't you remember, like, th- then they started, like, trying to trying to feed it to the, to the other kids? I was too shocked at that point <laughs> to really take in very much. So for about two minutes of this movie, I kind of blacked out. Yeah, there's, like, this side thing where, where Silas is trying to get an A in botany because that's his dream is to be a botanist. Sure. So it's a plant movie. That's number nine. Yes. 
and uh, academic achievement movie. It's higher learning, right? I would, I would say higher learning, or uh, that that uh, movie. I think it was Danny DeVito where he's on the army base and he's teaching those soldiers Renaissance man. Yeah, no, yeah, yes, yes, exactly. I'd say it's more Renaissance man, honestly. Actually, this was uh, this was produced by Jersey Films, which. Uh, Danny DeVito has a stake in that. Well, there you go. So there is a connection. Maybe they're using so, yeah. some Renaissance man. DeVito came in. He was like, he was like, listen, you know what would make this the best? Here's some here's some deleted material from my Renaissance man script. Just slide this in there. Mm-hmm. That went into the blender with the skeleton hand. <laughs> well, the skeleton hand does not work. And so at this point. They try to start studying. There's this whole montage of them, like, partying with ladies, smoking weed, reading books, and they end up getting all Fs. Yeah, I do enjoy that for once the montage absolutely fails. Yeah. And uh, Dean Kane is over the moon. Oh, and also, uh, by the way, I forgot, because this movie is so unhinged, they send um, pot-glazed brownies to Dean Kane's house of, of, of Silas, like, some special strain he has that will cause uh, the Dean to go back to his Black Panther roots. I think you've put more thought into this than they did. Well, yeah, because, you know, he's dressed up as like a, a is it a Civil War general or like what's that? What's that thing? Like he's got the little trifold hat or whatever. That's... It's, it seemed like a revolutionary war, like, like yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. George Washington. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and you know the the actor who plays Dean Cade, I think, finally gets to you know not play a caricature. Oh well, sorry, he's a definitely playing a caricature, a different type of caricature. The whole thing felt like he was like, "I've got some more stereotypically black material." Yeah, and they were like, "You know what? We've got some film." Yeah, so let's just let it run. So they licensed Flashlight by Parliament and decided that uh, you know they should film a little bit of. A little bit of uh, Dean Kane doing the running man, <laughs> doing the butterfly, <laughs> all sorts of other dances. And I got to say, man, that thick white lady who was his uh, wife, she, she did a pretty solid running man. Yeah. Yeah. She was good. Yeah, man. Yeah, she, she could dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now back to present day. Um, they failed all their classes. And Silas, you know, he's got a... A romance going with Lark Voorhees. Mm-hmm. And, um, Still he, with her original face. Yes, yes. This was before she became whatever terrifying thing she's, she is now. There's nothing <sighs> wrong with plastic surgery. Just be careful. Yeah, she didn't do a good job. And Research your surgeon. Yeah. And and I, I do yes. less than what they suggest. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, she, she wasn't getting good advice. The surgeon yeah, needed to make another boat payment and was like, hey, come on in, Lark Voorhees. While we're at it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's the, 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 the love story and all that stuff just ties together at the end, which is absolutely unhinged. <laughs> it, it, it ties together as much as anything else in this movie does. So Silas's final project is this, this uh, plant that is also a truth serum. Why not? And he ends up adding some weed to it to counteract the nausea, which, again, is also depicted in a very graphic way. Um, and 
Jamal, since we didn't mention it, is also in this movie. Is also we in, really talked about him. That is much. also in a romance with the vice president's daughter, <laughs> who is played by noted child predator. Um, what's his name? Do you know Jeffrey something? Oh yeah, um, uh, Jeffrey. Well, shit, it's right here. Jeffrey Jones. Yes, he he was uh, he was he was the the principal from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, but yeah, um, also all around bad guy. Yes, but I was more focused on uh, the woman yeah. who is his daughter mm. because I was like, I know her. Oh, that's what happens. Yeah, so smart guy, bro. Like, I was getting to that. Oh, sorry, because <laughs> it. I spent a whole time. I spent like. 15 minutes researching her career last night as I was watching this um, because I was like, I know I've seen her in a million things. I've seen absolutely nothing in her career except at the very beginning, smart guy. (laughs) So thanks for diffusing that for me. Sorry. Sorry. I, you have my apologies. Yes. She was in smart guy and made such an impression on me that I remembered her all these years later. You know, she's a, she's a foxy lady, man. I'm not going to... She is very pretty. It's just, yeah. She's a smart guy. But, uh, yeah, her dad is, is, is not that up. He's like a Bill Clintonian figure. Yeah. That was popular at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he's, and and they even have this whole thing about him, like not inhaling. Because you know he's partying That's with them at the still n- topical in two thousand one. Yeah, in the uh, in the credits. <laughs> but yeah, they find out. So the whole time, Lark Voorhees, she is an archaeologist. She has found some artifacts of uh, Ben Franklin's. And so when Silas, um, he he puts the the weed in like the hearth. And um, it just, you know, everyone just starts telling the truth and being themselves. And, yeah, then Ben Franklin and Ivory appear together. And it turns out that the contraption that uh, Lark Voorhees found is Benjamin Franklin's bong. Why not? (laughs) Why not? No notes. I got nothing. (laughs) Because, I mean, come on. The time to have notes was probably, you know, 85 minutes prior to the scene. <laughs> I stopped taking notes five minutes into this movie. Exactly. <laughs> it couldn't be anything other than a bong. <laughs> it, it, I do want to mention, I do want to call out Hector Elizondo. Oh, yes. the crew coach. Always love to see Hector Elizondo and everything. And uh, Anna Maria Horsford. Yes, she's Jamal's Amen. mother. Mm-hmm. Always love seeing her. Oh, she's, she's a black all-star, man. Amen. Friday. She does all sorts of stuff. She's an all-star. There are all-stars. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's where the movie ends. Very abruptly. Exactly. It's It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've never satisfied me, Bart, or whatever. It's like, Bart, you've never satisfied me. And then Method Man's like, I can't. (laughs) Freeze frame. It was very much like the lead on me freeze frame, remember? Like, that also ended on freeze frame. Just like... In the middle of this supposed riot of children. Mm-hmm. Just like nothing's really over. Why are we pretending this is over? <laughs> there are so many ramifications to what happened here tonight. I think at that point they were like, uh, the budget for this is 12 to 20 million and we are approaching the 20 million end of this. So yeah. we got to end it now. It's like the ending of THX where they're like, we're, we're reaching the point where this isn't going to be efficient anymore. We got to shut it down. Exactly. <laughs> So, 
Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This movie, this movie hangs together in spite of everything it is. Um, it is like if you, it's like some kid's first crocheting project where you can tell it's supposed to be a towel. It's not exactly a towel in any way that you understand it, but you know it's a towel. Right. And you're going to look at it, and you're never going to call it anything other than a towel. Mm -hmm. But it's a towel in spite of the fact that the kid tried to make a towel. Right. Exactly. Very apropos. But I I like this movie. Man, I... I, it's, It's hard not to like it. I owned it on VHS, and I've watched it probably at least 20 times. I could not do that. <laughs> I don't know that I would ever seek it out again, but this is definitely a movie that if I passed it on the TV, like I'm flipping channels or whatever, and it was on, I would watch 20 minutes of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would I would, I'd get bored with it after a while, and I'd move on, and, yeah. you know, do my laundry or something, but exactly. I would watch it and have a good time. Okay. Okay. Now, um, we come to the rating. As the guest who experienced this for the first time, I give it to you. I don't know how you're going to feel about this. Okay. But I'm going to make my case. Okay. I think this movie is a beige carpet. Okay. And this is why. Go. Again, I like this movie. Yes. I I don't think that this is a bad thing, me calling it the beige carpet. Okay. Um, But... We're looking at our six-point scale. Yes. Um, We're going to knock out um, All Eyes on Me, and we're going to knock out Watch This Immediately. It's not fair to hold it to either of those standards. There's no no way it could be that bad, and there's no way it could be that good. No. Um, So now we've got um, Regrettable Dalliance. Absolutely cannot call it Regrettable regrettable, Dalliance. Because um, no one... This was never a huge thing in America, so we can't look at it and say, oh, man, remember when everyone was watching How High and talking about how great it was? That was dumb. No. It, doesn't, it didn't have that kind of cultural cachet. Correct. Um, is it an Atari? Or no, is it a watch this immediately? I just can't go that high because no. I, I can't call this a, or a, a cultural touchstone. I can't call it a cultural touchstone because, once again... This is not a key part of American experience as a whole. Right. Um, I think if this is aimed at a specific group, then it's one of those, like, if you know, you love it. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the band Morphine. And if you talk to somebody who loves the band Morphine, they love it. If you talk to somebody else, they're like, I've never heard of it. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I've heard a couple of their songs. They're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, we come down to... Um, Atari Lynx and Beige Carpet. Now, an Atari Lynx, from what we've established to this point, is something that is underappreciated, but deserves better than the perceived lack of respect that it's received. I did a little research. Okay. I actually did more research on this than I have done for any um, thing that we have ever done. Oh, on this. okay. Um, which still isn't a great deal, but I I was very curious about this because I was trying to figure out what my feelings are on this in relation to what we do here. Mm. Um, 
as as we noted before, budget twelve to twenty million. Mm-hmm. Um, box office was thirty one point three million. Oh wow, nice. That's respectable. Okay, it turned to turned a nice profit. Um, now, IMDb rating. Yes. Six point two out of ten. Really, that's much higher than I would have expected. And it's a respectable rating. Very respectable. Um, letterbox rating. 2.9 out of 5. <laughs> okay. So, again, that's, yeah. that's a respectable rating. It's in the middle, yeah. Um, I saw that you gave us like four and a half stars, incidentally. I respect it. Hell yeah. Because um, when I added it to Letterboxd last night, it's like, oh, by the way, Munir also likes this movie. And it's like, oh, wow, he gave this a very good rating. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, critics... Gave it 25%. Of course. Which is expected. Critics are never kind of comedies, and it's mostly white dorks. Yes. This is not gonna. This is not a movie for critics. No. Um, audience is 79%. That's correct. Um, for an average of 52%. Yes. So I'm left with the impression, in light of this information, that this is the most appropriately appreciated movie I have ever seen. Because <laughs> this movie is good. Yes. This movie is fun. You will have a good time watching this movie. Yes. If you have ever been curious about this movie or if you think you should think you would like it, you should watch it. Yes. You should absolutely watch it. Yes. If you have never been curious about this movie and you don't think you would enjoy it, you should absolutely not watch it. You're not going to get anything out of it. You're, it is not going to change your opinion of it. Um, because there's nothing there's nothing at play that you don't think will be there in a larger Correct. sense. Correct. Um, once again, I think it's a good movie. I think it is enjoyable. I liked it a lot. Um, I'll add one more piece of information. Like I said, we had this at the video store. Mm-hmm. Um, it rented respectively as a library title. Hmm. Um, which, when it was a hot title, which was like $3.50 a night, did not rent. <laughs> <laughs> um, when it was a catalog title where it was like a buck fifty for two nights or five for five days for five dollars, rented respectably well. Hmm. I think this movie is 100% a beige carpet. Beige carpets are the workforce or the workhorse of the flooring industry. Beige carpet is not a bad thing. I think it is a good thing. I think, once again, this is an appropriately appreciated movie. Yes. And because of that, I can't give it the Atari Lynx, despite the fact that I enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, I'm going to say first off, I agree with your rating. That is what I was going to give it as well. Interesting. Because while I have given it four and a half stars on Letterboxd, that is a different... That's kind of from a different standpoint than what we do here. Yes. Because my letterbox rating is based solely on my enjoyment of the movie. Sure. And it should be. And here, I'm trying to um, assess its like cultural impact and value. Mm-hmm. And so, to your point, this movie, this movie meets you where you are. And it will not change anything about your opinion of it. Right. 100%. And so, yeah, I would say that Beige Carpet is very appropriate because, you know, if you hate this sort of movie, you're going to hate this movie. If you like this sort of movie, you're going to love it. 
And, you know, it's mutually exclusive in that way. And so, yeah, I think beige carpet is entirely appropriate. Okay. I'm glad we could meet in the middle on this. Yeah. Because, you know, I am, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a person of integrity here. This, this means something to me. Yes. It means something. This means something in general. This means something with a capital M and a capital S. So I cannot, I, look, I can't just give it a watch this immediately because I love it. Because that's not fair to the audience. Okay. You know, I, I can't lead them astray like that. No, they turn to us for integrity. Correct. Correct. And so as a result, because of the high um, ethical standards I hold myself to, I cannot give it anything but a beige carpet. Okay. I was concerned, not that you would not listen to me. Mm. I was concerned that your love for the movie might um, cause your feelings to be hurt. No, no, no. So I, I spent I, uh, a good, goodly amount of time thinking about I thought about this movie way more than anything <laughs> we have discussed. Because when I, as I was watching it, I was like, this movie is good. This movie is not superlative in any of the ways that our Correct. scale allows. It's a... Because, yeah, this this scale is going to whether or not... Like, how spectacular is the movie? You know? Mm-hmm. And it goes to the depth of feeling, the lowest depths, <laughs> to the highest highs. And this is, like a beige carpet, entirely in the middle. Yes. I would... One of the things that I was thinking about... Um, on the, I, I watched this over a couple of different days, but on the, my drives to work was how I could see this being in the TV show, The Good Place. Oh, yeah. And people just being like, I could see it being a running joke of like, how high is a Good Place movie? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, do you think we should get it removed? And <laughs> No, no, it makes sense. <laughs> like just occasionally throughout the series, people being like, oh, how high is a Good Place movie? <laughs> Yeah, now I think about it. Okay. <laughs> no, we shouldn't remove it. It's fine. <laughs> it is the uh it is the 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 frozen yogurt of movies. Yeah. <laughs> um can I say your level of recall for the events of the movie How High extremely impressive. Well, no, I watched it last night. Still I watched it last night. I don't remember half of the stuff you talked about. Well, I mean, I've also not seen, in the detail. I have seen it like twenty times, as I said, maybe even more. Because as I as I've told you, I owned this on VHS. I had it all through law school, and that was a very dark time for me. So I needed solace. Was this one of the ones that you would just kind of kind of yes, turn on? Correct. Okay. Yeah, Austin Powers, the first one. Yeah. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was another one. I can't explain that, but Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was one I would just turn on. Exactly. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to watch that. And this was, that was how high for me. So. That's yeah. a solid choice. Yeah. That's, that's a movie that make you feel good. Because, you know, once, once you've hung out with terrible people all day, you kind of need to, you need to have a warm hug of a movie. And this is what this, that's what this is. I can respect that. Yeah. This, is a, this is a definite, uh. Definite comfort food movie. All right. So with that, We've had next time. Two agreements. Yeah, we do. And so it is your pick next time. Oh, okay. Well, before this, we were discussing getting into some musical stuff. Yes. But not necessarily getting into whole albums. Correct. And you had a great idea of presenting like 
some playlists yes. and making the case for individual artists. Yes. Now, um, I don't know how you feel about Weird Al Yankovic. I, li- I, I like his stuff. Like, okay. I've heard Fat. I've heard um, Amish Paradise. Okay. Yeah. Well, what you may not know about Weird Al Yankovic is he is actually a musical genius. And this yep. extends beyond parodies because his parody game, top notch. Mm-hmm. No one would ever dispute. Like, the king of the song parody is Weird Al Yankovic. Yes. There's no discussion one way or the other on that. Um, but his true genius, at least for the period that I'm aware of him, which is like from, let's say, his first six albums. Um, is in his ability to do original songs, often that capture the style of an artist without being a song parody. Hmm. Um, and a lot of those, I think, are better than the song parodies that we're familiar with. Hmm. So I'm going to, with your permission, prepare a brief playlist of Weird Al Yankovic. All right. And All right. Uh, this was a... This was your idea initially, yes. as far as what we were going to be doing here. Yes. I don't want anyone to think that this is something I came up with, because this was something that you um, brought forth. Um, but I'm going to be the first person who's allowed to do a to, to take it for a test drive, and we're going to do like maybe six Weird Al Yankovic songs. Sounds and I'm going great. to make the case. We're going to finally decide, in terms of the watch this immediately scale, is he any good? Okay. Okay. So we'll we'll be making the definitive. Judgment on whether or not Weird Al Yankovic is worthwhile in America. So next time we're we're going to see is it just the hair or is it also the music? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Be ready. Anything could happen. All right. Well, with that, peace. Goodbye. Watch this immediately. Watch this immediately.